Let's pray. Our Father, it's a joy to bring our praise to you for your greatness, your love for us, your great grace. And thank you now for this time when you speak to us in your word. These are important things. Uh, They're important things for us to reflect on and pray that we will all see areas where we can respond to the word by your grace, um, grow and mature. Our Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would apply your word to each one tonight. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. invite you to have, it's printed in the order of worship there, the chapter 22 on lawful oaths and vows. We'll read that in a minute. And then we will be looking in God's word uh, several places. We'll begin with Ecclesiastes 5, and then Ephesians 4, James 4, and Proverbs 6. Ecclesiastes 5 is page 555 in the Pew Bible. As I read the chapter on oaths and vows, just to remind us that an oath is used in the sense of a solemn promise to other people, the vow is a solemn promise to God, um, horizontal and vertical. Uh, As section five says, though they're very similar, and in fact in today's English they're almost used as synonyms, so we're not making a distinction. The same principles apply to both. Westminster Confession. A lawful oath is a part of religious worship in which on an appropriate occasion, the person taking the oath solemnly calls upon God to witness what he asserts or promises and to judge him according to the truth or falsehood of what he swears. Two, the name of God is the only name by which men should swear and they should do so with all holy fear and reverence. Therefore, to swear vainly or rashly by that glorious and fearful name, or to swear at all by any other thing, is sinful and to be abhorred. Yet since in matters of weight and great importance an oath is warranted by the word of God under the New Testament as well as under the Old, therefore a lawful oath ought to be taken when imposed in such matters by lawful authority." Three, whoever takes an oath ought to consider seriously the great importance of such a solemn act, and in doing so should affirm nothing but what he he himself is fully convinced is the truth. A person may bind himself by oath only to what is good and just, what he believes to be such, and what he is able and resolved to perform. Four, the oath is to be taken in the plain and usual sense of the words without equivocation or mental reservation. It cannot oblige a person to sin, but when it is taken in matters which are not sinful, it obligates the performance of the oath, even though it may hurt. The oath is not to be violated, even though it is made to heretics or unbelievers. Five, a vow is similar in nature to a promissory oath and ought to be made with the same religious care and be performed with the same faithfulness. Six, a vow is to be made only to God and not to any created being. In order for it to be acceptable, it is to be made voluntary, out of faith and conviction of duty, 
either from thankfulness for mercy or from the desire to obtain what we lack. By taking a vow, we bind ourselves more strictly to necessary duties or to other things to the extent that they contribute to the performance of these duties. Seven, no one may vow to do anything forbidden in the word of God or anything which would hinder the performance of any duty it commands. No one may vow to do anything for which he has no ability and for which he has no promise of ability from God. With respect to these things, Roman Catholic monastic vows of perpetual single life, professed poverty, and regular obedience, far from being steps to higher perfection, are in fact superstitious and sinful snares in which no Christian may entangle himself. Article in the New York Times states that 91% of Americans confess that they regularly do not tell the truth. 20% admit that they can't even get through a single day without a conscious, premeditated white lie. In contrast, the believer, as we looked at last time, we follow a different standard because God's word requires that we keep each word because he keeps each word. He's our model, the faithful God. God requires that we keep each word always. He, the Lord Jesus raised even daily speech up to the level of oaths and vows. Our God requires that we keep each word seriously because he's going to judge even words that are given rashly or thoughtly. So how much we need our Savior so that we do not break our word. True believers uh, do not wish to break our word. We know that it is an important matter in the scriptures to speak the truth and to follow our God who is the God of truth. I think the question is more, what can we put into our lives so that we make sure that we're keeping our word? Are there biblical principles that will help us? If we follow these, then we will be sure that we're on the right way in, in keeping our word. And there are. We'd like to look at six principles tonight. Uh, two principles before you even give your word that you need to have in place. Two principles while you're speaking and two principles after you've given your word. And if you look at these six principles and they're a regular part of our lives, the Lord will be giving you great grace to be able to keep your word. So first then, let's look at the two principles. Before you even give your word, what are those two principles? The first one is to distrust your feelings. Don't give your word by how you feel on impulse. Look at Ecclesiastes 5, 4 through 6. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger, that was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Oh, it was a mistake. It was being impulsive. No, once you've given your word, God is requiring you to keep it. Proverbs 20, 25, it's a trap for a man to decide something rashly and only later consider his vows. Why is it a trap? Because you're bound to keep it. Even if it was rashly, you should have considered first. Proverbs 13, 3, he who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, place of emotions. 
when we're emotional, either high, excited, or in times of darkness and anger, injustice, depression, whatever it is, don't make promises. (laughs) The advice to those who are grieving is wait a full year after the funeral before you make any major commitments. You need time to process clearly. First principle, before you even give your word, be careful that you're distrusting your feelings. You're not operating on impulse. Second principle, before you even give your word, is to ask yourself, am I able to do this? And there's a checklist. There's two principles here if you're able to do it. It's to ask from God's perspective, is it even permitted? And then even from my perspective, is this even possible? Am I able to do it? You must ask the question, am I able to do this? Before you give your word, we then first need to ask, is it permitted? We're not allowed to do what is sinful from God's perspective. Section 4, the oath is to be taken in the plain and usual sense of the words without equivocation or mental reservation. It cannot oblige a person to sin. Section 7, no one may vow to do anything forbidden in the word of God or anything which would hinder the performance of any duty it commands. You can't promise to do what Scripture forbids. You can't bind yourself to sin. Romans 14.23 says, Anything not from faith is sin. If you realize afterwards you've gotten yourself into a situation where you've given your word and you can't follow through, this would be violating of Scripture, then you, you cannot proceed. The sin is not that you're going to be breaking your word. The sin is that... You gave it wrongly in the first place because you can't promise to do something that is sinful. Herod needed not and he should not have continued to behead John the Baptist simply because he quote, quote, gave his word. You can't give your word for something that is sinful. Luther was right to break his monastic vows of celibacy. They're not biblical. There's many applications of this. You, you can't marry. You can't even be engaged to an unbeliever. You can't promise to do what is contrary to Scripture. You can't promise to do a favor for somebody before you even hear what it is. The children that are signing up for Little Leagues, have you checked to make sure that there's no Sunday games which you would have to miss worship? Otherwise, you can't give your word. You can't sign up for it. Same thing when... Interviewing for a job, even a summer job. Some business contracts, and later you realize, boy, this is breaking the law. This is over the the line of what we can do as Christians. What about the applications to your portfolio? Do you know what funds you're supporting? Embryonic research? Am I able to do this even before you give your word? You're not allowed to give your word for something that is sinful from God's perspective. So am I able to do it? Not only is it permitted, but the other half of that is, is it possible? Am I even able to do this? Section 7, no one may vow to do anything for which he has no ability or for which he has no promise of ability from God. Proverbs 14.8, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. Luke 14, 28, you count the cost before you put your hand to the plow, before you build, before you go off to war. Can you finish? Do you even have the ability? The Christian has to weigh every word. It's really the same parallel, isn't it, to 
someone who gets overextended in, in debt. They're not even considering the question, am I able to pay for this? They're just asking, where's the MasterCard? It's that impulsiveness that gets people into trouble overextended financially. Well, it's that impulsiveness. It's, it's not thinking it through. Am I even able to do this before you give your word? So we need to have um, more uh, resistance and uh, more quickly to say to somebody, I'll, I'll get back to you. I need time to think about it. I need time to pray. I need to check with my spouse's schedule or commitments. Because if you can't say no, you're going to end up saying yes, and you're going to be overextending, which then by default will be you'll have to break your word somewhere because you've been overextended. Our practice as believers should be, um, I need to pray about this before I give my commitment. And let me get back to you in a day or two. Principles before you give your word, before you say yes. Distrust your feelings. Make sure it's not an impulse, rash. And second, you must ask the question, are you able to do this? Does God permit it? Is it even possible? And then there's two biblical principles when you are speaking, when you are giving your word, and that is we are to speak truthfully and we are to speak submissively. Turn to Ephesians 5. I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, 15. Speak truthfully. Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. You notice, must. This is a command. You must put away falsehood. You must speak the truth. And the idea here in verse 15, it's, it's truthing. It, it's, it's difficult to translate it, but it's the idea your whole life has to come to, tr- to truth, speech included. And it's a present imperative continually, all our lives. The, the essence of the Christian profession is to becoming truthfully in all areas of life to be renewed then and then the new man. Verse 24, after the likeness of God in true holiness. The holiness of truth. The truth here is not an adjective, it's a noun. It's, it's the state in which God has brought you. Ephesians 22 through 25 Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in righteousness, truth, and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Why is it so important to be speaking the truth consciously, reflecting, is this the truth? Because believer, those of you who put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's, yes, it's the wonderful news where God has forgiven you all of your sins because of the work of Jesus Christ and you're trusting in him as a substitute to take the punishment for your sins. But there's so much more. You've been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness. You've been delivered out of deceitfulness and you've been brought into the truth. You've been brought into the kingdom of the truth. You're no longer in the futility of the mind of the unbeliever, darkened in understanding alienated from God due to the ignorance that is in them, Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. You've been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness. You've been brought into the truth in Jesus, the truth. It's impossible to overstate that. 
that the mark of somebody who's been brought into the kingdom of God is truth. It's one of the most frequently used words in scripture. It's a cornerstone of the kingdom of God. Ed Welch put it, speaking truth instead of lies is not simply being nice. It's a declaration of allegiance. Truth is a shibboleth. It's a telltale mark revealing that you belong to the kingdom of God. Speaking the truth is not just good manners. It's not just being nice. It's a a mark of which kingdom you belong to. And those kingdoms are in conflict. And you're going to stand out from the world. You are to speak the truth. Section 4, the oath is to be taken in the plain and usual sense of the words without equivocation or mental reservation. What's equivocation? Dictionary says equivocation is to be deliberately ambiguous. (laughs) Using words to mislead. Deceive, double meanings, slippery, legalese, evasive. No, the Christian speech is to be the truth, not twisting it so it's more acceptable. Not trying to figure out what the other person wants you to hear, to say. Woe, we are to be Israelites indeed, in whom is no guile, John 1, 47. We are to strive to be sincere without offense until the day of Christ, Philippians 1, 10. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of truth living within you, and this is echoing in your heart. Yes, yes, this is the standard. Yes, I've been brought into the kingdom of truth. But the Holy Spirit, as he applies this to our lives, It's going to go deeper and deeper all of our lives. Are you afraid of speaking the truth to anyone? A parent, a spouse, another believer. This should never be so in the kingdom of Christ, especially between believers. We are to be people that speak the truth. Two principles of when we are speaking, the first is speak the truth with clarity, with the ordinary meaning of words. And the second principle is found in James chapter 4, and that is to speak submissively, always allowing for the act of God. God might intervene and change plans here. I'm really not in charge of the future. I'm really not in charge of the calendar. James 4, 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. It sounds like an echo of Proverbs 27.1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. This isn't saying that it's wrong to be organized or disciplined or to set goals. We're to be disciplined for godliness, 1 Timothy 4.8. It's not saying that you shouldn't set plans or set forecasts. They were told to meditate on the ant as an example of wisdom, planning for the future. Proverbs 6.6, 6, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. She prepares her bread in summer, gathers her food in harvest. Joseph was wise and righteous. He planned for the future. Genesis 41. In fact, not making future plans, not writing your will 
is actually the sin of this chapter. You're presuming that you have lots of time to think about the future. No, the sin here is, is not being disciplined. The sin is not being organized. The sin is not making plans. The sin is a sin of presumption. I can control the future. I know what the future holds. You cannot presume to control what's out of your control. That's crossing a boundary. Only God is in charge of the future. Verse 13, it has the sense, we will. There's a self-determination. We're going to do this. No concept of God's going to rule and overrule. We're even going to make a profit. Boy, they were really deceived. You don't even have today if it's not God's will. Jeremiah 10, 23, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It's not for man to direct his steps. So whenever we give our word, while we're speaking, we must always hedge it carefully. Um, If the Lord wills uh, this, um, and not flippantly, otherwise you're taking the Lord's name in vain. But to acknowledge, I'm not making an absolute promise because I can't make a promise for what I can't control. It's like the father, he would be wrong to say to the child in the morning, today after, when I get home from work, I promise you, we absolutely will go for ice cream. You don't know that. He doesn't know that he's going to live that day. The best he can say is, let's make plans. No promises, but this is going to be our plan. If the Lord wills, especially with children, if you give your word to do something, they're going to hold it like an oath and a vow. But they're right. (laughs) They should hold it as an oath and a vow. And therefore, we need to be speaking submissively. If the Lord wills. In 1912, the unsinkable, quote, quote, Titanic was launched in Liverpool, England. There was a lot of hoopla surrounding the Titanic's safety and structural integrity. Caused great anxiety in the heart of a believer whose family was unexpectedly transferred onto the gigantic liner for its maiden voyage. This woman was the mother of Eva Hart, who recalls that her family was saved from the tragedy because of Mrs. Hart's spiritual conviction. Throughout the voyage, Mrs. Hart stayed awake at night, waiting for disaster to strike, and thus she was able to move her family to an upper deck almost immediately after the ship collided with the unseen iceberg. It's because of her vigilance the family did not join the other 1,500 people who died that night. But it was because after she read the shipbuilder's claim that the Titanic was unsinkable, Mrs. Hart believed and she stated, that's flying in the face of God. Two principles before you give your word. Check your feelings. Make sure it's not impulsive. And then ask the question, am I even able to do this? Is it permitted? Is it even possible? Then there's two principles while you're speaking. Is this the truth? And am I saying this submissively? Only if the Lord wills. Then there's two principles after you've given your word. And that is, we are bound to our word, even if it becomes difficult or costly or unpleasant. And the second is we're bound to our word unless we seek to be released. We're bound to our word even if it becomes difficult 
or costly or unpleasant. Section four, the oath is to be taken in the plain and usual sense of the words without equivocation or mental reservation. It cannot oblige a person to sin, but when it is taken in matters which are not sinful, it obligates the performance of the oath even though it may hurt. Why did Moses carry Joseph's bones out of Egypt 400 years after Joseph's death? Because they had given their word, Exodus 13, 19. Numbers 30, verse 2, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to oblige himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he has said. We've seen that the broken word was a sin. In Leviticus 5, it required the blood sacrifice of a substitute lamb. Leviticus 5, 4, if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it's hidden from him, when it comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin that he's committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he's committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for his sin. The sin of breaking a person's word required the death of a substitute. A lamb's blood had to be shed. Breaking our word is not just faux pas. It's not just bad manners. It's not just a mistake. It's not just poor planning. Breaking our word is a sin, and it required the shedding of blood. And the shedding of that blood of the lamb was pointing to another lamb who was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he went to the cross to pay for all of our sin in thought and in word and in deed so that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Broken word is sin, and so we must keep our word, especially when there's a cost. What did we read in Psalm 15 earlier? The righteous person swears to his own hurt and does not change, or better, exchange. What do you get when you've received a a gift, maybe at Christmas, and the shirt's the wrong size or it's the wrong color? You go back to Macy's and you exchange, is the word. You are never to exchange your word once you've given it. You can't use the excuse, well, circumstances have changed. That's the whole point, (laughs) that you're going to keep your word when circumstances change. The thing that's going to be reliable is your word, even though circumstances change. The parallel is Jesus said anyone can love people who are nice. I'm calling you to love your enemies. Anybody can keep their word if it's easy. The point is you keep your word when it's difficult. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. That's the whole point of a promise. You can count on my word no matter what, even though things get hard, even though circumstances may change. I've given my word. Wedding vows aren't, the couple isn't promising that they're going to love each other that day, of course, everybody can see that. They're promising to love in the future when it's difficult, when circumstances have changed in their health and their wealth, and when their personalities begin to irritate one another. Vows are for the future when it's difficult. 
person can't say yes, but then something better comes along. Oh, let's go back and change what we've said to somebody else. You can't walk away from your house and just stop paying the mortgage. Contracts might be difficult. Marriages, when they're going through difficulty, believers can never, ever threaten divorce. That's holding a loaded gun to somebody's head. The Bible teaches there's only two grounds for divorce and you pursue them biblically. You keep your word, even if it costs, even though it's difficult. When men make a promise to each other, there's nothing more common than from some slight loss, which the performance of it would occasion, to endeavor to find a pretext for breaking their engagements. Hence it is that we generally see so much unfaithfulness among men that they do not consider themselves bound to perform the promises which they've made, except in as so far it will promote their own personal interest. Do you know who wrote that? John Calvin, hundreds of years ago. This is the nature of the human heart. We think it's bad in our culture, and it is, but this isn't new. Believer stands apart from the whole culture. What's the principle of after you've given your word? You're bound to your word, even if it becomes difficult or costly or unpleasant. The second principle is we're bound to our word unless we seek to be released from our commitment. And turn to Proverbs chapter 6. If you knew you couldn't keep your word before you gave it, you shouldn't have given it. So we need to think through the contingencies, think through the promises. And if we didn't allow for the will of God, we still must proceed if it's not a sinful promise. You just can't cancel it because circumstances have changed. Even if it's made to an unbeliever, it's still valid. As long as the content of the vow it was not sinful. Think of Joshua's vow to the Gibeonites and consequence that went on for generations. The only exception is when you're in a situation now and it's difficult to keep my word, really difficult, you do have the principle, you can go back to the person that you gave your word to and ask them to release you from the promise. Proverbs 6, 1 through 5, my son, if you've put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. How do you get out of a situation that's now become very difficult? You go back to that person and ask to be released. If you've co-signed a document and it's difficult now, you, you can't just change your mind. You have to ask the other person to release you from your word. And, and do this quickly, verse 3. Hasten yourself. It's very vigorous. It means trample, stamp. Get there. Plead earnestly. It may have been very unwise, very, very impetuous that you got into this situation. But you cannot just break your word because you're now finding it difficult. The other person has to release you from your commitment. And what if they don't release you? Then you have to keep your word. We're living in a day when it's very common all around us that 
Many people think, all that's necessary to, <laughs> to change my word is for me to change it. It's a private decision. It's not what scripture teaches. The other person is holding our word like a treasured possession. We're asking them, please give my word back to me. <laughs> Otherwise, if they don't, we cannot break our word if it's not a sinful promise. Stepping back, how do we look at these six principles? I think some application is, is that we, we really need to make sure we know our own personality and that we have a system in place for each of our personalities so that we know that nothing will fall through the cracks. When you've given your word, it's, it's, you're going to have ways to remind yourself. Never rely on your memories or your good intentions. I've tried to learn over the years, write it down quickly. I used to carry three by five cards. Nobody knows what a three by five card is. But people have it on their phone, their to-doist. Just click a button and record what, you're going to, what you've promised to do. Put it on your calendar. Even ask that person that you've just promised to, to remind you. If you don't hear back from me by Wednesday, would you call me? Would you send me an email right away so I don't forget? Get a system in place for yourself so that nothing falls through the cracks, so that once you've given your word, even with the best of intentions, you'll be keeping your word. Flip it around. We need to hold other people to their word. Maybe you've been in a conversation and somebody says, oh yeah, I'll do this. And you can do it with grace, but you should say to them, uh, did you want me to send you an email and remind you? <laughs> Are you going to write that down? Should we write this down? If they don't follow through on their word and you don't say anything about it, what are you communicating to them? You're communicating that it's really not that important that they broke their word. And you're communicating that you don't love them that much to hold them to their word. We all think we're doing pretty well, and, but we can be blind and we need to have loving correction. A wise man welcomes correction. A humble person welcomes correction. Please tell me if I've forgotten a promise or if I've forgotten what I said I would do. When an older Christian comes to you and says, you know, you need to really follow through on what you said there. Don't chafe. Thank them. You care for me enough. It's important enough that you want me to keep my word because God calls us that that's a mark of a believer. Get yourself a system in place that nothing falls through the cracks and remind other people that they keep their word. Another, another principle on this is to step back and look at your whole life patterns, not just the spoken words. Is this indicative of just a sloppiness in all of life? For example, if somebody is consistently 10 minutes late for what they said they would be, so much so that their reputation is, people, people just automatically say, oh, this person said they would be here at 10 o'clock, mm, they'll be there a quarter after. It's already part of their reputation. I'm not going to follow through on my word. Or emotions that go up and down and you, don't, you can't depend on what they're saying. 
There's other ways that we can communicate in life, all of life patterns. Maybe it's a pattern of exaggerating or impulsiveness, undependable. That should make us sad that other people are compensating for us because they know that we really don't mean what we say. We are to be believers that are trustworthy in our speech, reflect on those whole life patterns. And another stepping back is, if you see that this is a difficulty that you've given your word and it's so often falls through the cracks, whether that's because the system isn't, you're not thinking through principles before you give your word or during your word or after your word. Reflect on the question, why? Just as somebody who's financially overextended and they're in impossible debt because it's so easy to use the MasterCard, they need some help. Why are you doing this? And so, too, the same question, when somebody so quickly says yes, and they get overextended, and they can't possibly follow through on their commitments, you need to ask the question, why? Why are you giving your word like this? Are you wanting other people's approval? Are you just trying to appease them? Are you trying to quieten them? Is that a lack of discipline? Ask those larger questions. It's not just the issue of the tongue. It goes down into the heart. If you are not a professing Christian, I have wonderful good news for you, in contrast to a whole society around us. Maybe everybody you've ever known in your life has let you down. The God of the scriptures is the God of absolute truth. You can come to him knowing that he will always, 100% of the time, keep his word. He's promised in John 3.16, because he's loved the whole world, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And he means it. And you can put your trust in him. He will not lie to you. And you who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've committed your life to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to his, whose word is truth. He will never break his promises to you. And that's our calling. What a time to be a Christian. In the middle of a broken, decaying culture, a culture of death, a culture of deception, a culture of lies, a culture that is speaking of your truth and my truth and everything is relative. What an opportunity for the Christian to stand clearly and graciously on truth. Is there an area tonight where you need to focus more? Is it giving your principles about before you give your word or during or after? I would encourage you to make some specific applications for your own heart and commit them to the Lord, asking him to do the work in you. This is a sermon to tell us that we're all sinners. We can't redeem ourselves. As we look into the requirements of God's word, they undo us and they're to drive us to Christ. They're to drive us to the Holy Spirit, asking him to complete the work that he's begun in us, to work more and more, both the willing and doing of his good pleasure. Believers indwelt by the Holy Spirit do desire to speak the truth. They know that that's important. 
And how do we do that? Well, there's principles before you give your word, there's principles while you're giving your word, and there's principles after you give your word. Get those in place, and the Lord will give you grace to to be people of integrity and people of truth. R.C. Sproul said, Christians are required to be models of truth. Our word should be sacred, and we need to cultivate a scrupulous concern for our word. Here is where the depth of true spirituality shows itself. A spiritual person is one whose word you can trust. This Christian has integrity and keeps promises. In so doing, the person bears witness to the truthfulness of the God being worshipped and served. Our God is the faithful God, and we are called into his kingdom to become more and more conformed to the likeness of Christ. Shall we pray? Our Father, we very quickly um, affirm that we are living in a culture in the world which is trying to conform us into its mold. And the world around us sure does not um, hold in high regard the keeping of word and the keeping of truth and the keeping of promises. We confess in every way where we've seen your spirit has perhaps um, opened our eyes tonight to see areas that we need to confess, areas that we need to repent of, areas we need to change. Thank you that we come to the Holy Spirit of truth and his desire is to conform us to the likeness of Christ. And so we can ask with all confidence that you would apply these principles to our hearts Cause us to be people that are trustworthy because our God is trustworthy. We pray in his name. Amen.